0: Hill of two cities. This is number one of seven regarding Jerusalem and Babylon. This is a very special presentation in which you will discover it is unlike anything that I have previously given. It was my plan to present these messages next year, but after much study and prayer, the Lord has impressed me that there will soon be laws passed that will make it impossible to present the facts that will be given in this series. So in keeping with God's will, I begin the first of these studies, which has to do with two very important cities. The first is known in God's word as Jerusalem, and the other is called Babylon. These two cities are the symbols of two tremendous powers engulfed in a total war with each other in which you and I participate every day we are alive. In this first presentation, you may find the information presented a bit taxing to your mind, but I promise you that when the foundation of these studies is clearly understood and the reasoning powers fully awakened, we will discover thrilling new truths, which will answer many questions that are bound to arise within the mind of any serious Bible student who is searching the end-time predictions given by God through his prophets, which enable us to comprehend just what God expects of us in the coming Worldwide crisis. Now, let us begin with two texts, which verify that there are indeed two cities. The first has to do with Jerusalem. Zechariah 8.3 Thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion. I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. And our second text has to do with Babylon. Revelation eighteen twenty one. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all it is here that we begin the tale of these two cities which are constantly referred to in the scripture as historical glorious cities jerusalem founded by god as his eternal city and babylon built by the city of men under the direction of satan to oppose god almighty Throughout the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, the history of these two ancient cities is pictured vividly and accurately, but they are also projected into our day and beyond to the end of time. These two cities are not confined to some specific area, nor are they given to any nationality. For these cities include the whole earth of both the good and the bad there are therein as one studies the description of these two systems you are immediately impressed with the glorious truth that the king of jerusalem is a loving king anxious over every one of his subjects so much so that he gave his own son as a willing sacrifice to die for them that they might be saved who would obey his requirements and to such he offers eternal life but with the other you will also be amazed to learn that the king of babylon is the king of babylon is A lying deceit for he demands your obedience but will do nothing to save you your loyalty and obedience to his will will be rewarded only with eternal death now with this brief introduction let us first discuss what is meant by the name jerusalem Divine inspiration tells us that after the flood, God called Abraham out of Chaldea, which was in Babylon, leading him to sojourn in the land of Cana. There, God renewed his everlasting covenant with him, and it was here that God asked Abraham to make a supreme sacrifice of his son Isaac on Mount Moriah where Jerusalem was later to be built. At that time, Melchizedek lived in this mount in a city called Salem, meaning peace, where he was the priest of the Most High God to whom Abraham paid his tithe. Now you can see by these events that this was a very sacred spot to God, but Satan, knowing that this was a place of importance, seized control of Mount Moriah, planted his idolatrous inhabitants of Cana to hold this spot in the very midst of Israel. And it was not until the time of King David that Mount Moriah was finally captured and made the capital of Israel. It was then called Jerusalem, the city of peace. Now the Israelites who were a chosen people of God to accomplish his purpose on earth were able under David's son to erect Solomon's temple on this very sacred spot. And God hallowed this temple by his divine presence. It was God's purpose that from Jerusalem the Jews would evangelize the world as we read in Hebrews 2.14, until the earth was filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. But instead of Israel fulfilling this glorious destiny, we read in Psalm 78.41, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Thus, Israel failed to provide the means through which God could demonstrate his love and his mercy in saving a lost world. When Jesus came to this earth and was finally rejected of his own people, they filled to the brim their cup of iniquity by the stoning of Stephen, in which they passed the boundary of God's forbearance As a chosen nation, as a result of their refusal to meet the provisions of God's covenant, the Jewish nation has been scattered throughout the world. What a sad testimony to the fact that a people so deeply religious and students of the word of God could miss their great objective. While the Jews were looking for their Messiah and believed that his First coming was near at hand. They failed to recognize their Messiah when he did come. And even today, some 2,000 years later, they are still looking for him. This should be a fearful warning to us, lest we repeat their history. In Great Controversy 35, the Jews had forged their own fetters They had filled for themselves the cup of vengeance in the utter destruction that befell them as a nation, and in all the woe that followed them in their dispersion, they were but reaping the harvest which their own hands had sown, says the prophet, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, for thou hast fallen by thine own iniquity. Hosea 13, 9, 14, 1. Thus did Israel fail as God's people, never again to be recognized as his chosen people. By her own choice, Israel was reduced from nobility to slavery and her homeland desolate. For God's word declares in Acts 13, 46, But seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves (coughs) unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles." So now God transfers the keepers of Jerusalem to the Gentiles of the world, who would accept his son Jesus, and they were to become the remnant of God, the Israel of today which are found throughout the world everywhere. New Testament writers always use the term Israel when speaking of Christ's followers. For instance, in Galatians 6:15 6, and 16, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. Did you notice? They are now called the Israel of God. Therefore, in the very end time, when the sealing of the 144,000 takes place, God speaks of the remnant as of the tribe of Israel. And in Revelation 7, 4, I heard the number of them that were sealed, And there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. So, we have established a very important fact. Until the great controversy is finally ended, the term Jerusalem and Israel will be used to designate God's remnant people. In the day of the apostles, the early Christian church, Now the spiritual inhabitants of Jerusalem prospered for a time as keepers of the true faith. But after the death of the apostles, the church gradually compromised with paganism and apostatized. As a result, a long period of persecution developed which is known as the Dark Ages. During this time, God was almost forgotten, and the word of God scarcely known. This is spoken of in Prophets and Kings, page 714. The Lord's moral vineyard was almost wholly unoccupied. The darkness of error and superstition threatened to blot out a knowledge of the true religion when the 1260 years of papal reign were almost fulfilled, God developed the great reformation through men like Martin Luther and other reformers to produce once more the pure truth which had been hidden by papal tradition for centuries. And most important, the Bible was restored to the common people. But sad to say, the reformers failed to follow the increasing light. Apostasy once more began to develop in the leaders preceding the date of 1844, when God foretold through Daniel that the last judgment would commence. In preparation for the judgment message, God opened the understanding of individuals in many lands around this world to discern the soon coming of Christ. Thus, the second coming was heralded to the world. The first angel's message of Revelation 14 was followed by the midnight cry in the summer of 1844, proclaiming the second angel's message that Babylon is fallen and to flee out of the midst of her Thus it was that God's true church came out of hiding and was once more again established at the time that God predicted it would in the end of time. Both Isaiah and Ezekiel speak of this. Isaiah eleven sixteen, And there shall be an highway for the remnant of the people which shall be left from Assyria like as it were to Israel, in the day that he came out of the land of Egypt. And then in Ezekiel 34, 12, and 13, as a shepherd, seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that were scattered. So, will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered, in the cloudy and dark day. Through the remnant within the church city of Jerusalem, the Lord hath set his hand again the second time to recover. God will finally accomplish his purpose and fulfill his promise. For all the promises and prophecies made of old Jerusalem are unchanged and yet to be fulfilled. We read of this in Manuscript 405. We are numbered with Israel. All the promises of blessings through obedience are for us. And sons and daughters of God, page 13, the church is God's fortress, his city of refuge. It is still God's plan that through the inhabitants of his city, Jerusalem, God would proclaim and preserve his truth, sending the gospel to all the earth, inviting every nation, kindred, and tongue and people. God has spoken, Isaiah 55, 11, so shall ye go out with joy and be led forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. It is God's purpose to re-establish righteousness over the iniquity that abounds. That which he intended to do through ancient Israel, he will accomplish through his remnant church. In Prophets and Kings, page 713, That which God purposed to do for the world through Israel, the chosen nation, he will finally accomplish through his church on earth today. These witnesses for God are numbered among spiritual Israel, and to them will be fulfilled the covenant promise made by Jehovah to his ancient people. Reading on on page 74, therein they were weak, even to the point of failure. The Israel of God today, the representatives of heaven that make up the true church of Christ, must be strong, for upon them devolves the task of finishing the work that has been committed to man and of ushering in the day of final awards in the foreknowledge of God from times eternal. It has been God's plan that his last church city should be the most splendid of all. And most amazing is that the inhabitants of this city would come out of Babylon and will establish a city so strong that he will survive in the last day, ready for the return of Christ. How comforting to read that God's remnant within modern Israel will not fail him. There will be a people prepared to meet him. A people who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. It was of great interest to me to discover that in the 1888 edition of the Great Controversy on page 266 that Ellen White quoted Revelations 11:2, which reads The Holy City shall they tread underfoot forty and two months and that she inserted here the words The True Church Again she states In Testimonies to Ministers, page 345, when we have the precious Savior nigh us, his presence is with us. We may have a Jerusalem in our own houses and in our churches. You see, it's more than just a city. It's a system. It's the power of a living Christ within our heart. And this is so important. Thank God <clears throat> there is a Jerusalem a sure and tried foundation therein. Isaiah twenty eight sixteen, behold, I lay in Zion a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. In Ephesians two twenty, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Desire of Ages five nine nine upon this living stone jews and gentiles alike may build this is the only foundation upon which we may securely build and by connecting with christ the living stone all who build upon this foundation become living stones and one more in first peter 2 5 ye also as lively stones Are build up a spiritual house. From the book, The Remedy, by Leola Rosenwald, page 5, are these words. We must understand that by the term building is represented the development of the characters of the individual citizens. If the city of God could be strong and enduring. It must be made up of a people who have formed characters built after the pattern, Jesus Christ. The work of building must be carried forward day by day, gaining in strength as the structure expands. Nothing must be allowed to interfere with our daily construction. From the spirit of prophecy we read, that we need to bring solid timbers into our character building taken from notebook leaflet volume one page 26 and that a good character must be built up brick by brick every day growing in proportion to the efforts put forth avoid the sand bed hunt for the rock Dig deep. Lay your foundation sure. Build, oh, build for eternity. Volume 5, page 129. I like those words. As Noah built an ark, so it was the saving of his house. If we would save our own souls, (coughs) we too must build. Noah had divine guidance. So we must depend upon the Lord in Psalms 127, one, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. You see, prophecy predicts God's last city will triumph, but if we have been warned over and over that more than half who dwell within this building, this city are building flimsy constructions, building upon sand, and they will be swept away in the coming shaking tempest. I ask you, will your house stand within God's city? Now, let us turn to the city of Babylon, which is Satan's counterfeit, and compare it with that of Jerusalem. Early in the history of mankind, Satan inspired the worship of the sun, the S-U-N, as the god to be worshipped, a counterfeit of the true God. In this clever deception, He permitted men to exercise self-will in choosing which of God's commandments they would obey and to disregard those that the carnal heart would choose to disobey. Satan knew of God's plan to develop a righteous city on this earth as God's fortress to preserve and spread his truth So Satan established his city of Babylon to promote his deceptions and he built his city upon the plains of Sharnar on the banks of the Euphrates river. Satan inspired the sons of men to build a city with a tower so high that it would become the wonder of the world. It was to be so strong, so great that it would protect them from God's judgments. Since God had instructed men to disperse over the earth, Satan would centralize and consolidate in Babylon, which is his capital, which was to embrace the entire world with the satanic purpose to void the law of God by a union of church and state that would be independent of God. When Babel was practically completed with a tower that reached into the clouds being devoted to idol worship, God disrupted Satan's plan by striking the mighty tower with lightning from heaven, casting the top to the ground as if it were a toy. God further stopped Satan's work by confusing the language of the people, changing their speech to hundreds of different languages with many dialects, causing great confusion and dispersing the people. Thus Babylon became known for its confusion, which is the meaning of the word Babylon. However, Nimrod, mentioned by God in his word, continued the work of satan as you read in genesis chapter 10 he became the first mortal to set himself up in the place of god nimrod actually became mighty on this earth and established his deceptive power in babel's location being inspired by satan he used physical force to enlarge his kingdom finally conquering Assyria and Libya. His empire lasted for some 1,300 years, and Satan used Nimrod's wife, Semiramis, to develop the strategy of a counterfeit salvation in the form of pagan idolatry which spread over the world. Thus you have the worship of the sun, moon, and stars, represented by Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz her illegitimate son. Centuries later, about 747 B.C., the descendants of Nimrod built the city Babylon upon the ruins of old Babel. No city before or no city after has ever equaled its power and magnificence. For Babylon was to be Satan's counterfeit of the new Jerusalem in heaven. Permit me to read the description of Babylon as found in an old book published by the Review and Herald called Sunshine at Home. I'm reading from page 58 and 59. The city was laid out in a perfect square. It's on each side or 60 miles in circumference this was the length of the wall which consequently enclosed a space of 225 miles the wall was of immense structure 87 feet thick 350 feet high the space within the walls was divided into 676 squares with two miles and a quarter in circumference by 50 streets, 25 each way, crossing each at right angles. These streets were each 150 feet wide and 15 miles in length. Besides these, there was a street running around the entire city, just inside the wall, 200 feet wide. All these together made 810 miles of streets. Through the center of the city, from north to south, passed the river Euphrates. On either bank, through the entire length of the city, was built a large quay, and a wall as thick, though not as high as the outer wall. On each side of the city were 25 gates of solid brass, opposite each of the 25 streets that entered the city on every side in the river walls were 50 more gates (coughs) through which the 25 streets that crossed the river passed on either bank thus Babylon had a hundred and fifty gates of brass there stood the temple of Belus three miles in circumference its central tower raising up higher than the pyramids of egypt is supposed to have been the original tower of babel built soon after the flood just this side of the temple of belus is seen another structure this is one of the royal palaces three and a half miles in circumference there was another one eight miles in circumference on the other side of the bridge across the river and there was a subterranean passage under the river connecting these two palaces. The hanging gardens constituted another wonder of this royal city. Immense structures containing vast quantities of earth, resting in arches, rising tier on tier, they equaled in height the walls themselves, and with grottos and castles, and full-grown forest trees, They seemed like veritable mountains of beauty and virtue, which they were designed to intimidate. I could go on reading, but I must continue. Babylon's wickedness also increased. As she indulged in debasing idolatry, God gave King Nebuchadnezzar a warning of a great image whose head of gold was soon to be swallowed up by another power. But Nebuchadnezzar determined that his kingdom was to last forever. And so he made an imposing image, all of gold, on the plain of Dura. You know the outcome, for you have read the story. Next, during the reign of Belshazzar, the wickedness of Babylon became so great that God commanded the city to be destroyed which was thought humanly impossible by its builders. But one night, beneath the river gates, marched the agents of prophecy. The alarm was sounded, Babylon is fallen. God further stated that this literal city was never to rise again. And so, the place is desolate today. But although the literal city was destroyed, the name of that city did not cease. For God continued to use the name Babylon to portray the synagogue of Satan, which is built upon pagan idolatry, which continued in the kingdoms of the Medes and the Persians, Grecia and Rome, It was not until Christ was born in Bethlehem and the apostolic faith spread to all the world through Christianity that the pagan power began to crumble. But the devil was prepared for such a change with an even greater deception for he then developed within the seven hill city of Rome the papal power in which Satan continued his deceptive strategy under the name of Christianity. This new church-state power displaced Babylonian paganism by absorbing it, and the man of sin ascended to power. Papal power imprisoned the truth with unrighteousness, during 1260 years of the dark ages and trampled the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thus Satan directed his subjects to look for forgiveness not from Jesus but to the priests and to the Pope. The Pope became the mediator instead of Jesus Christ in the heavenly sanctuary above and then to make sure that men would forget their creator. He changed the seventh-day Sabbath of creation to a substitute Sunday, the pagan Sabbath, or the venerable day of the sun, making Sunday the sign of his power. In Prophets and Kings 179-184 to 184 are these words, A signpost, was erected by God for those journeying through this world. One arm of this signpost pointed out willing obedience to the Creator as a road to felicity and life, while the other arm indicated disobedience as the path to misery and death. But in in an evil hour, of our race the great enemy of all good turned the signpost around and multitudes have mistaken the way the man of sin has changed the signpost making it point in a wrong direction he has set up a false sabbath and has caused men and women to think that by resting on it They were obeying the command of the Creator. Satan says, I will work at cross purposes with God. I will empower my followers to set aside God's memorial, the seventh day Sabbath. Thus I will show the world that the day sanctified and blessed by God has been changed. That day shall not live in the minds of the people. I will obliterate it from the memory of it. I will place it instead a day that does not bear the credentials of God, a day that cannot be a sign between God and his people. I will lead those who accept this day to place upon it the sanctity that God placed upon the seventh day. Thus Satan, through his system, which God calls Babylon, has attempted to accomplish what he could not do in heaven. He has changed God's eternal law without God's authority. As God's judgment approached in the year 1844, the power of papal Babylon was broken in 1798 by a deadly wound, for the Pope was taken captive and papal power was temporarily checked. This enabled the Jerusalem power of the Reformation to begin again in triumph. But a sad change came when the Protestant churches rejected the three angels' messages. They began to drink again from the cup of pagan doctrine, and became drunk with the wine of Babylon. They are therefore today a part of Babylon, the great city. Great Controversy 381. The term Babylon is derived from Babel and signifies confusion. It is employed in Scripture to designate the various forms of false or apostate religions Patriarchs and Prophets 124. The existing confusion of conflicting creeds and sects is fitly represented by the term Babylon, which prophecy of Revelation 14.8-18.2 applies to the world-loving churches of the last days. These modern Babylon presents a confusing variety of counterfeits. Great Controversy 389. Were it not that the world is hopelessly intoxicated with the wine of Babylon, multitudes would be convicted and converted by the plain cutting truths of the word of God. But religious faiths appear so confused and discordant that the people know not what to believe as truth. Again in Great Controversy 567, none but those who have planted their feet firmly upon the foundation of truth and whose hearts are renewed by the Spirit of God are proof against her influence. When one traces Satan's strategy, from the beginning of mankind. We can see plainly. His counterfeit religion. Revealed in old Babylon. And carried on down through the dark ages. Of papal Rome. Into this enlightened era. Of Protestantism. So. The tale of Babylon begins in Genesis. And ends in. Revelation. For God always refers to Satan's religion as Babylon, the great city. I'm reading Revelation 17:5 and 18. Upon her forehead was a name written Babylon, mystery Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and abomination of the earth. And the woman which thou sawest is the great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. As we near this end time, Satan becomes more deceptive, calling the earth's inhabitants to build him a magnificent city. It is to be a new world order, a one world government. He cares not what one believes so long as it is based on error. This new world power is to become so great under the control of the papacy, that Satan believes he will be able to win the battle when Christ returns, so that he himself will be able to reign in this world as king of kings. But Satan has no rock in Babylon to build upon, for in Babylon Satan is its chief cornerstone and his structure is built on nothing less than sand. Every doctrine of Babylon is supported by unbiblical self-worship. However, not all that are living in Babylon today will be destroyed, for we have been told that the majority of God's people are still to be found within Babylon, These who are honest in heart will soon heed God's call and come out of Babylon. They will obey, but all who build apart from the divine architect will perish. In Desire of Ages 599, multitudes are today building upon foundations that have not been tested. When the rain falls, and the tempest rages and the floods come their house will fall now just a few moments for you to do some serious thinking are you dwelling in the city of confusion called Babylon by believing and teaching the new theology do you have the peace of God within your heart because you are obeying your master? Have you prayed Christ's prayer found in Matthew twenty six thirty nine? Not as I will, but as thou wilt. By processing the mind of God, by possessing the mind of God, you will discover the peace of living within the city of God. For there is never any peace in Babylon. Millions upon millions in these last days have built their homes within Satan's wicked city of Babylon. They are filled with false hopes of ease and of safety. Yet, modern Babylon is filled with worldly wealth. Her towers of learning are filled with the philosophers of our day. She boasts of a world's vast majority. So she must be right. With Nebuchadnezzar, she explains, she exclaims, "Is not this great Babylon that I have built?" Well, I trust that in this study, you have felt the call of God. For in the tale of these two cities you have decided to join with God in giving the loud cry to your neighbors, your friends, and to your loved ones, for it is time to come out of Babylon. Revelation 18.4 And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, that ye received none of her plagues. And so with this brief background, we are now ready to discuss the warfare that takes place between Babylon and Jerusalem. This will be the subject of tape number two of this series. Don't miss it. Let us pray. Loving Father, We have seen clearly today the difference between Jerusalem and Babylon. O God, we pray Thee that we may set our anchors deep within Jerusalem upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ. We pray Thee, Lord, that we may ever faithfully obey Him. And Lord, help us somehow to give the cry loud and clear to loved ones and friends in the community where we live, to come out of Babylon before it is too late. And thus, Lord, we pray thee that thou wilt bless us today as we give our hearts to thee in Jesus' name, Amen.